This is Fred Ricciani of the Sports Courier Podcast. I have right here via Skype a very special guest. They call him MMA's Quiet Pioneer. For over a decade, he has been on the mixed martial arts scene, doing a little bit of everything. Commentary, analysis, reporting. You name it, he's done it. From WEC to Strike Force to watching the stars of tomorrow and today on Access TV. He is Ron Kruk of Access TV. Ron, how's it going? I'm doing great, Fred. I appreciate that introduction. And anytime you throw the word pioneer out there, it means you're old. But I, I, I appreciate it, man. I I have been uh, I have been around for quite a while in this crazy MMA world we live in. Yeah, you, you certainly have. And you're doing some Great things on Access TV right now. Access TV slash HDNet, which is its former name, been one of my favorite channels for such a long time. And I got to give you guys props. When I was starting in MMA, when I was working in production and, and starting my website and everything, you know, I was, I was still learning the game and everything. I didn't even know I was going to get into MMA. And Access TV HDNet was one of the big parts of my life that really kind of helped me brush up more on the sport from inside MMA yeah. and all the different broadcasts and everything. Before we jump into your career and everything that you've been doing and how you got up to this point, can you tell us what's going on with Access TV these days? You bet. Uh, we are all Legacy Fighting Alliance all the time as we go into 2019. This will be the first year, Fred, that uh, the LFA is the exclusive um, home on Access TV. They will be the only promotion that we are working with going into 2019. And we're excited about it. Uh, they have accomplished so much in just the year and a half of their existence. We're looking forward to the um, exclusive partnership. We are looking at broadcasting at least 30 live MMA events throughout the year. And that doesn't include some of the comp shows and best of shows we do, you know, the best of uh, the year and best knockouts of the year. So we are excited to to work with this group. Um, the LFA uh, has just become and embraced themselves as the feeder league into the UFC. Last year, uh, they put 33 total fighters into the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And uh, I, I think that's the key. They, they have embraced their role as the feeder league. Fighters understand that's one of the quickest ways to get to the UFC is to come to the LFA and win a title. You know, a lot of these guys don't want to go on to the Ultimate Fighter, uh, the TV show anymore, because they don't want to deal with the drama of, of living in that house and, and doing reality TV. So the LFA has really embraced their role to be the college football to the NFL, if, if you would. Um, uh, again, they, they've had uh, 33 fighters go into the UFC just last year. Um, they had 19 of their alum, Fred, headline or co-headline, and two former LFA champions, uh, Henry Cejudo and uh, Valentina Shevchenko, become UFC champions. So that's what we've got going, coming into the new year. Join me. Of course, uh, Pat Militich is going into, I think, his 10th year on the network, and our new addition, who's uh, doing the ring reporting local to you, uh, Phoenix Carnavale from New York City. The three of us will be back for another year of exclusive LFA action on Access TV. That's pretty awesome. And I'm just curious, how's it different for you in the past with Access TV and HDNet? 
they had a lot of different feeder leagues on the channel as well as some major leagues such as Dream as well. And now it looks like you guys are just primarily focusing on LFA. Do you find that more conducive to success, not just for you guys, but for the fighters themselves? Because let's face it, with all due respect to Ring of Combat and some of these other promotions out there, it can be pretty hard to keep up in today's MMA landscape. That's a great point, Fred. The landscape has changed so much. And when you add shows like Dana White's Contender Series, which picked so many of our fighters to join them for that uh, three-month season that they had, some groups and organizations like the LFA were able to survive that. They have a stable of roster uh, of fighters in their on their roster that's big enough where they can lose um, eight to 10, which I believe they did going through the contender series. Other groups like we have been partnered with CES in Rhode Island for uh, several years. Uh, one of our favorite organizations, they, they really put uh, MM, the East Coast MMA on the spotlight. Uh, but when they lost some of their champions like Matt Bissett and, um, and Greg Rebello, it was hard for them to bounce back and do shows uh, when they were being handpicked by the UFC. So uh, the landscape has changed. I, I like what the LFA is doing because of the fact that they have a good relationship with the UFC. You've been around this sport a long time. If you're the guys saying, hey, we're coming in, uh, IFL, affliction, and we're gonna take on the UFC, bring it, uh, things haven't worked out so well for those organizations. So uh, I, I think there is a place for regional MMA, uh, and I think that the LFA has taken that step up to be that feeder league into the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Fighters know it, as I said. If they want to get to the big show, they get on Access TV, which we're in uh, potentially over 50 million households now. They can get their name out there, but they can also just go and do the work. You win a title, and then you move on to the big show. We'll get to the rest of Access's combat sports programming in a second. I want to talk about your career. For those that don't know them, I just know you as the commentator from Access TV. You've been around for a long time, man. Not to call you old. I don't think you've aged a day. It's been like eight years since I've seen you. I'm looking at it right now. Whatever aging plan you're on, man, I, I, I want to get on that. But you actually Appreciate started, that. But you actually started with HDNet Access TV way back in the early 2000s. So be before even that, right? Did you originally want to get into journalism growing up? Was that that's something that you had your eye on or did you end up pivoting into this career? You know, I had always been intrigued by television and radio, especially radio. I growing up had the, the radio in, in the room and, and listening to uh, sports all the time, live sports. And um, so I always was intrigued by radio. Uh, I decided to um, once I got to college, went to University of Colorado to get my degree in broadcast news journalism uh, with an emphasis on sports. So, you know, I, I did I took the route of interning at a couple different uh, networks here in Denver, um, uh, the NBC and the ABC affiliates. Uh, and I started out on some local after I graduated from CU, um, just doing local television. Um, we were a good friend of mine, his dad's been on uh, the radio here in Denver for decades. And uh, 
Joe Williams and Irv Brown, and and they started a TV show here in Denver where they did nightly sports talk on a local uh, cable access channel with guys like Woody Page, who's on ESPN now. And uh, that's where I really started. I started covering the Nuggets. I started covering the Avalanche. I was their main uh, field reporter. And it was a great opportunity where a lot of the guys I graduated with were in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, covering tractor races. I was covering the the NHL uh, Stanley Cup and had this great opportunity. Um, you know, fast forward a few years, a friend of mine started at HDNet when Mark Cuban launched the network um, in 2003, and they were in dire need of programming. This was the first all high definition 24/7 network. And she knew I could be pretty versatile. So I went over there and started on a show called Across America, uh, the exec- where I traveled around to different uh, crazy festivals. And then the executive producer of sports, Daryl Ewald, you know, Cuban launched this network to be more of a sports channel back then. Uh, we were doing the NHL, the, uh, Major League Soccer boxing, um, college football, and the executive producer, Daryl Ewald, knew my sports background, so he kind of pulled me into the sports world. And that's when, in 2004, Reed Harris, who's with the UFC, of course, uh, he basically just reached out to Cuban and said, listen, you're doing boxing on the network. It's it's a dinosaur. You need to get with, um, with MMA. And so... Cuban was all in. He uh, got to Daryl and Daryl came to me and said, hey, do you know anything about cage fighting? I said, you mean the UFC? He said, no, no, no. This is cage fighting. I'm like, Daryl, that's what the UFC is, basically. It's called Mixed Martial Arts. So that's where we started on this network. We really, uh, a, a lot of people hadn't really known much about the sport. I had been a big fan Almost went down to UFC one from Boulder, but a snowstorm prevented us from doing that. So uh, I was excited. So we did a partnership with the WEC and we taped our first show, WEC nine in 2004. And that was really, Fred, what kind of launched it. Um, Daryl didn't want to do it live yet. He's like, I don't know about this. And so we did that show. We cut it into two um, different uh, episodes. There was an incredible stacked card um, from uh, from uh, Mike Swick was on that card, Chris Lieben. Um, so many of your future UFC stars started there. And then about um, March or, or April of 2004, we started doing WEC shows live. And that was uh, really the beginning of it. Uh, when we partnered with them on the network and then we started to do, you know, seven or eight live events a year. And really, it was a great partnership with the WEC before Zufa came in and purchased them. So is what is WEC what kind of gave Mark Cuban the MMA combat sports bug? Because I feel like after that, it only just grew from there. That's a great question. It really was after our uh, contract expired with them in, in 2007. We had a call um, and with with Mark Cuban and uh, several others, we had to make a decision. Zufa wanted to buy the WEC. We were trying to figure out, okay, do we make an offer for them? Do we go out and broadcast other organizations or do we start our own? 
And that's what Mark decided to do with HDNet Fights. He decided to do his own promotion and really take on the UFC. Um, and we did two events, Fred, both going down in Dallas at the end of 2007. And that's really when I think the landscape of MMA was shifting. Um, you know, we had the WEC on for a while, so we had become established in the MMA world and, and by fans. And then when Mark started his own um, his own promotion, it just gave the other fighters the opportunity to go to other places. And I think another milestone part of that year was we broadcast um, the first ever Fedor Emelianenko fight live to the U.S. That was uh, Yarnoka on New Year's Eve. So here we come. We're doing our own promotions, and then we're bringing in uh, the Japanese style with with pride going away. There was a void left in Japan, so we started doing uh, the live MMA in Japan and really filled that void. So I think that's what really changed the landscape. Um, Mark did two shows, and they were pretty successful, but he also realized that there's a lot to become the UFC. And uh, at that point, he decided, let's keep doing the Japanese shows, Dream, uh, Sengoku, and then let's get some partners here in the US and we'll let them do the promotions, we'll do the broadcasts. And that's kind of how we, uh, we shifted then. One show I really missed that you guys used to do was Inside MMA. And for those that don't know, it was a news magazine show covering all the latest topics, about an hour-long MMA. It featured yourself, the MMA legend, Boss Rutten, and, in my opinion, the media legend, Kenny Rice, a mutual friend of ours, a guy who I think is just a, a, a pro's pro, somebody that doesn't shy away from the tough questions, the tough topics, that keeps everything in line. And, Very true. And you guys had about nearly, I think, a de nearly a decade run or so, and, and it was a combination of you guys, plus I know Moro Ronaldo was involved in, in some of the later shows, and I thought... You guys did a tremendous job not just covering the current events of UFC and Strike Force and Bellator, which everybody does these days, but you did put a spotlight on a lot of the stars of tomorrow. You know, whenever you had a guest list, yeah, you'd have like a UFC guy, you'd have an MMA legend here and there, but you would always squeeze in one or two rising stars on the panel as well, which I thought really kind of raised their stock and allowed fans to kind of get to know them more. Looking back now, we're a couple years removed, I think, since the last Inside MMA episode. What do you think is the legacy of that show? Well, number one, thank you for bringing it up. It was a great run. Uh, we did a decade on national TV, and there aren't too many shows that can say they accomplished that. Sports Center can say they did that. Um, that's about it. We had a great run, and it was some of the keys to our success were what you brought up. I, I worked with some of the most talented people in the business, um, producers from behind the scenes to Kenny Rice, who I 100% agree with you is one of the best broadcasters, so versatile, can do any sport. Um, and he was really a mentor to me and we've become pretty much best friends. I try to see him and his dad uh, on a yearly basis. And then of course, Boss Rutten, Boss taught me more about the sport than I could ever ask. And he was so humble and there were no dumb questions. And he he just helped me get to where I needed to be to become a, a true reporter in the field. Um, and, and then working with Moro and, and Michael Chavello and Pat Militich, just great um, pioneers of, of this of this MMA world. You know, I think when you talk legacy, I think that we exposed 
uh, people to the sport that who were not MMA fans. Of course, the diehards were tuning in to to see what we had to do. You know, we were the first when we were on Monday nights before the Fox deal. I'd go out to the UFCs, cover them, and we were the first to show part of their highlights, but to have post-fight reaction. And two days after the event back then in 2007, that was groundbreaking. So we we did a lot of that where, as you said, Fred, it wasn't just about the UFC, though. It was we covered Strike Force, We covered Bellator. We covered the smaller regional promotions that we were doing on our network. It was a sports center for mixed martial arts. And you don't have that now. Now you can check out, you know, UFC tonight, but you're not hearing anything about Bellator or any of the other organizations, which I understand, but it's no longer the, you know, the, the journalism side of that show. There is none. Um, and that's what I think that our legacy will bring from, you know, some of the big breaking big stories to, um, you know, I miss as their main reporter before I took over for Kenny as host, I really miss just telling the stories of these fighters. Um, I get more feedback about that than I think anything else. Um, things like uh, going back to South Philly with Eddie Alvarez and just how proud he was to walk around the streets and show me where he came from to um, I think one of the first uh, features I ever did was on Shane Carwin, who was a mechanical engineer. He worked at the water department here in Colorado and he never gave up his day job. Even when he was fighting Brock Lesnar for the championship, he never gave up that day job. And that those stories expose people to this sport. And when you could only see these guys walking up to the cage and fighting, I think we we told some stories that fight fans didn't know about. And I think that'll be the legacy of of what Inside MMA was. Uh, just a a true um, objective um, show that uh, had journalistic integrity and uh, and loved the sport. Well said. Now, you've been involved with the game for a long time. It's hard to believe I've been involved in MMA now for like almost a decade as well. And when, when you're around the sport, you know this as well as I do, you went to some wacky things. Of course, we've had the John Jones deal where he had an abnormality in his test. Hey, let's move UC 232 on six days' notice. We had the cancellation Crazy. of UC 151. We've had little things that only guys like us remember, like going to a Bellator show and watching Eric Prindle kick some guy square in the groin when a referee warns him not to kick a guy in the groin. I mean, we've I, I've been in arenas and covered events where a guy wasn't allowed to fight because he was under 21 in a casino at a show he was headlining. I mean, just wacky things. And all the years you've covered MMA, what is the wackiest thing you've been a witness of at a live event? Oh my gosh, that is a tough one. Um, Anything stand out? You know, there, there's a few. I, I will say, going back, number one uh, at Yarinoka in Japan. Number one, doing a live broadcast from Japan with a Japanese crew was a huge undertaking to begin with. And there were many challenges, just the communication between the American side and the Japanese side. And that broadcast, I do remember, it was going so long. It was one of their epic New Year's Eve shows that was supposed to go for six to seven hours. But the TV window in Japan was only four hours. So there was no way they were getting Fedor's fight in if they put him at the end of the night. 
So the decision was made to move him up five fights. And the communication getting to everyone was a huge challenge. And I remember my producer, Daryl Ewald, yelling to me, Ron, you need to fill. Get up there. Get on your perch. Get some interviews. Start to fill. And I run up there, and the Japanese cameraman will not pick up the camera. He's shaking his head at me. And my producer's yelling at me. He's like, why aren't you on camera? I pick up the camera and actually had to show him, I'm here, Daryl, I'm here. They won't pick up the camera. Well, he wouldn't pick up the camera because the Japanese crew was worked on a script that was so tight coming in. Here's your commercial. Here's this the interview next do the fight that once we change things, they freaked out. They're like, no, it's not in the script. So I literally had to pick the camera up at one point and we're about ready to go when he finally grabbed the camera and I started filling because we had to get ready for the for the Fedor fight. So. I would say that was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And then maybe on the, uh, the second story that comes to mind more recently was during an LFA show this year. Uh, it was on a post limb. So the fight is over. A post limb, you know, they just some of the locals fight. Pat Militich and I are getting ready to do our, our web recap. And... There's a fight going on and we hear everyone just explode and we turn around and a guy came up and pretty much knocked himself out as they hit. He falls down. That wasn't what was crazy. His opponent, though, decides to stand on his back and do a front flip. And that was his celebration. And to the uh, California Commission's credit, they suspended him. It was a no contest. It was one of the craziest things I ever saw was for someone to do a front flip off a uh, knocked out opponent. Just insane. Hey, hey, there's there's no MMA like like MMA. For those that don't follow the sport or you haven't been involved in the sport, I'm telling you, at, at some point, you're going to notice something wacky and it just, you know, you, you just roll with it. It's MMA, right? Exactly right. And, and you mentioned it before, Fred, you've worked in different aspects of broadcasting and if you would have asked me, uh, you know, over a decade ago, if I, I'd be covering mixed martial arts and making a good living doing it, I probably would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> so so with, let's touch on that a little bit. You've been with Access TV now, HCNet, since 2003. Was, was there ever a point in time during your employment there that you thought, hey, you know, I don't know, I don't know if this relationship is going to last, it's been beneficial, but maybe... I'll go elsewhere, or was there never a doubt in your mind? I guess, is this something where they said, hey, Ron, you know, from the start, like, we want to make a long-term commitment to you, or did this relationship kind of just develop over time? Because it's rare for anybody, I don't care whether you're with Access TV, ESPN, NBC, to be around that long with the company and still be thriving. Absolutely. And number one, I, I, I have to thank uh, Mark Cuban for the opportunity. Mark has always believed in not only the sport of MMA, but the people covering it and supported boss Kenny, Pat, myself, um, because there are times you go up and down and, and the major changes. Um, I've been very blessed, Fred, to, to be able to really reinvent myself several times on this network, you know, going from uh, entertainment shows to back to sports, to the WEC as their ring reporter, to Inside MMA as their main reporter and fill-in host, then going when Kenny left to actually host Inside MMA in, in LA with Boss, 
And then finally, you know, once Inside MMA was canceled in uh, 2016, I went back to the live fights um, that Michael Chavello and Pat Militich had been doing uh, without a ring reporter. I took over that role. And then a year later, Michael Chavello decided to move back home to Australia. Um, we saw that coming. And once again, I reinvented myself as doing, you know, play-by-play for access fights. Now, I had been doing play-by-play with the IFL, uh, filling in for Michael for years, and then more recently with uh, Glory Kickboxing. So I was ready for it, but it was another challenge. And I think that has really kind of contributed to my longevity on the network, I would hope so. Um, But the opportunities have been great. And I've had other um, you know, offers, and I've been very pleased with what Access TV and HDNet has has given to me. They give me a ton of freedom. Um, they give us the support we need and the resources we need. And so it's been a, a long, strange trip, but uh, it continues in 2019. Yeah, you also filled in uh, in Strike Force a few times as well, right? That's true. That's true. Yep. Uh, I had the honor of calling the final Strike Force event with Pat Militich and Frank Shamrock uh, when Moro Ranallo had some family emergencies going on. And I was out there covering uh, the event for Inside MMA. And, you know, we did our show Friday night, uh, rolled in and started doing production meetings with uh, Showtime. Uh, David Dinkins gave me the opportunity to do that show. And, uh, it was it was crazy. It was um, one of my favorite events to call, and uh, it, it's funny how I always have it seem to walk into these type of of situations. Fred, be it the last IFL show or or the last uh, Strike Force, um, yeah, I've I've had uh, I've had the the pleasure, I guess, to close some doors as as well as open some. There's an old saying in pro wrestling for a wrestler, always bring your gear, because you never know Vince McMahon or somebody's going to say, hey, you know, get in the ring. Would you, say it's kind of the same thing, would you say it's kind of the same thing in media, always be prepared, always be on your game and ready for something? I mean, I, I didn't even know that story, by the way, about the, the Strike Force deal. So how long did you know before you actually had to broadcast the final Strike Force show ever? Uh, that was, we worked out a deal that Friday night. So... I probably knew about four, 12 hours, 14 hours before I was going going live. Uh, not much sleep <laughs> happened that night, but you're exactly right. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be um, ready to to fill in for anyone. And you know, we were talking earlier about you know if if there was some advice I'd give to those not only in the media but trying to uh, work in combat sports is to you have to be versatile you have to be able to do different jobs i mean i wouldn't have lasted this long if if i was just a reporter and all i could do is cover an event and and be done i mean i'd be gone um that's where i really honed my skills doing play-by-play and then studio hosting is a different deal. You have to be able to do those uh, different opportunities. And I think that uh, that's truly what has helped me over the years. You, you can't, the days of like going and just being a reporter standing in front of the camera, they're gone. You know, you go to local television markets now, decent size like Vegas, 
And you see their reporters are shooting their own stuff. They're, they're writing their own stuff. They're on camera in front of the camera reporting. They're doing it all. And so that would be my advice in this new age of, of media as we go into 2019 is be prepared to do it all. Know how to write, number one, and then know how to uh, do interviews and, and, and just be well-rounded as possible. You make you guys make play-by-play look pretty easy, but I know firsthand. I mean, that's certainly uh, not the case. Can you walk us through kind of like the day in the life of a play-by-play announcer, a, a commentator? Like, what does your day look like with Pat Militich before, during, and after an LFA show? Yeah, um, basically, you know, our events are on Friday nights, so you know that's kind of the the key nights, the live broadcast. So. You know, um, my week consists of Tuesdays. We do our production call with uh, our producer, Jamie McClintock, and EP, Jason Vaughn. And and uh, we, we do a conference call. We start working on, we're looking at the card. We're looking at storylines. We're looking at possible features to do. Uh, and then we have a call with the LFA. We do that in the afternoon, finalizing the cards, getting any new uh information before we head out uh for me personally being in denver if the event is on the east coast i leave on wednesday if it's on the west coast sometimes i can leave thursday morning um but wednesdays usually travel and prep day um i start all my notes uh on on tuesday and and then really get into scripting and 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 fight notes on wednesday Thursday, we're at the uh, events where we do our, our live um, face-to-face interviews with the fighters. Uh, so we do usually about three hours interviewing every fighter from the main card because, you know, unlike the UFC, you know, where you show up and, uh, you know, you don't have to do a, a, a lot of research on, on the background of, of, you know, George St. Pierre, uh, you do have to know who these guys are. And that's where we get a lot of our information during the fighters meetings. Our production team will do the headshots and the green screens uh, with the fighters before the weigh-ins. Um, normally have a team dinner uh, on Thursday night. And then Friday night uh, is, is game night. So we're set to go. We do production meeting in the morning. And then we're out at the arena a couple hours before. Yes, Pat Militich does wear makeup, um, so we have to get our makeup and all that. And then we're live, and then that's it. Um, then the machine rolls on. We usually fly out early Saturday, take a couple days, and and get the week rolling again. Wow, a day in the life of a commentator. Not as easy as it looks, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, but you guys, you guys do a great job. But I appreciate that. And, and a couple things before I let you go here. You're a Denver Broncos fan. Of course, you've been a part of the Denver sports scene forever. Uh, John Elway, with all due respect to him, Super Bowl winning quarterback, Super Bowl winning executive, but he's had several misses the last few years with quarterbacks. I, I think Case Keenum can be a solid quarterback with the right game plan, as we saw with the Minnesota Vikings, but the Broncos didn't get what they bargained for this year, finishing with a losing record. Not as bad as the Oakland Raiders, but still not great missing the playoffs again since that Super Bowl victory with Peyton Manning going into 2019 what do you think your Broncos need to do to get back on the winning track oh fantastic question now before I before I go into this answer Fred I gotta show you something don't panic I'm, I'm still here 
There he is. The first, the first Super Bowl victory for the Denver Broncos. I have been a diehard Bronco fan since I was a kid. I'm originally from New York. My parents moved me here uh, when I was only six years old. And so I've grown up a Bronco fan, um, a huge John Elway fan, of course. Um, I wish that we would have had this conversation a couple years ago when we were actually uh, winning the Super Bowl. But you have to take the good times with the bad. And that's what makes you a sports fan. you got to go through those losses. I was in high school when the Broncos got blown out every Super Bowl. It got to the point where you were like, do I even want them to go? You know, the NFC was the king. You know, as an East Coast guy, the Giants were dominating, the 49ers. Um, It was tough. It was tough. So, you know what? Um, You know, and then when we have Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning's not going to get blown out in the Super Bowl. What happens? Seattle blows them out in New York. I was out there for Inside MMA. And the only good thing about that was I had the chance to go. The tickets were like $1,200, $1,500. And I decided not to because I wanted to watch it with my oldest son, Kyler. And uh, so I came home and thank goodness I did not buy those tickets. Um, so, yeah, up and down this year, very disappointing, very disappointing. Case Keenum has not been the answer, um, but I don't blame only him. Uh, they have um, their offensive line needs a, another revamping. It's been that way forever. Key injuries. I mean, they lost uh, Manuel Sanders. They lost Chris Harris Jr., two guys that are leaders on this team. Um, Has it been frustrating? Yes. Uh, I think John Elway has missed with several quarterbacks now um, drafting. uh, And and you can't give him credit for, for Peyton Manning. You or I could have said, yes, let's go out and get Peyton Manning. That's just a no brainer. Um, But drafting and, and drafting up, to get Paxton Lynch, who's no longer even in the league now, um, embarrassing. And he's missed on several of these guys. Brock Osweiler's another one. So um, if people are getting frustrated here. You, uh, j- listen, this will always be a Broncos town, and John Elway will always be beloved for winning those Super Bowls. But John Elway, the GM, is getting beat up pretty bad. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I think um, they got some good young receivers. I think they need to steady that line. I mean, my boy, Philip Lindsay, holy moly, undrafted from University of Colorado. When they didn't draft him, I was losing my mind. I've seen the kid play. It was unbelievable. Um, so he's got a very bright future, but they've got a lot of holes to fill. I thought Bradley Chubb was a great, um, you know, number one pick. But uh, they need some help on on offense. Ron, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you again, interviewing you for the first time in, man, like seven, eight years. Long, long overdue, man. I, I overdue, really Fred, absolutely. I'm really happy for your success and everything you got going on with Access and Beyond. Definitely keep in touch. Where can fans find you guys online? I will keep in touch. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just at rcruck, just R-K-R-U-C-K. Um, follow us at, at Access TV Fights. Check out the Access TV Fights Facebook page. We post a lot of content, not only from myself, but Pat Militich uh, does his his coach breakdowns. And Phoenix Carnavale has interviews with the fighters. Um, so that's where you can check us out. And then, of course, uh, Access TV available on 
on DirecTV, Dish Network, Comcast. Uh, I believe with you guys out there, we're on Verizon and Spectrum. So find Access TV. If you're an MMA fan, you won't be disappointed in the new year. Sure. Thanks so much, Ron. All right, Fred. Take care of yourself, buddy.